Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight, my regular panelist and Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Troy, welcome to the show. It's nice to be back. Sorry I missed all the great XCOM fun last week. You guys had a great show. Uh, you know, we, we had a great guest and a great game to talk about. It was, uh, it was really exciting, and if, uh, you know, if, if there were more codes falling from the heavens, uh, I think I would have had a panel of about 30 people from how many people volunteered for it. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's going to be big. Um, that show's really blown up uh, as far as downloads. There's a lot of interest in that game. Uh, tonight, we also welcome back Scott Lewis, uh, program ref for Axis. Hi. Monsters, welcome back. This is your first time on the show, isn't it, Scott? Yes. This is my uh, first time. I'm very excited because I I, um, I love the other guests, what the other guests has recently made. And also, you should all go by XCOM when you can because um, it's great. And I didn't do much on it. Um, I didn't do pretty much anything on it, but um, it's great. So Didn't do much except make it awesome. No, I did <laughs> That is... A lot of people work very hard to make it great, and you know, it is it is all theirs. So, I could have sworn we had you on the show. weren't you on the? Uh... Oh wait, did you punk out on the on the Pokemon show? I punked out on you. On me. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm a bad bad person. True. I thought you said this guy was dead to you. You are all dead to me. I think I've killed more people in my heart than probably Stalin did. <laughs> oh wow and that is a terrifying insight into the uh dark heart of troy goodfellow uh we also welcome to the show uh nels anderson lead designer of mark of the ninja uh at clay entertainment thank you very much it, it is actually really super awesome to be on the show i like it a lot and i feel very complimented that you guys invited me to come and talk to you especially since you don't do strategy games but well, we can get into that, but, but yeah. Yeah, even, even though obviously Ninja is not a strategy game per se, I think it does have a lot more in common with strategy games than most other character-based action-adventure type of games. Which is one reason why um, I wanted to get you on the show and to talk about it. Um, yeah. Uh, should I lead into this, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've, uh, we, we've kind of hinted at what we're, what we're getting at, so we might as well uh, lift the fog of war. <laughs> yes, we're talking... Oh, God. Oh, yes, yeah, segue. Oh, God, that's terrible. Yeah, we are talking about uh, Thomas Hayes' Fog of War and Hidden Information. Um, many of you, of course, in the strategy and war game world are familiar with Fog of War. It's pushing back the black. It's the idea that there's something, there's an area on the screen that's visible to you, but what is in that area is not clear, is unknown, is blurred out, or is black. Um, and this is, of course, you know, a tried and true mechanic uh, in strategy games and in other types of games. Um, so I wanted to talk tonight about um, how Fog of War is used in games in general, how the importance of hidden information or partial information is to games, uh, because many games have complete information. Um, I think of you know, Unity of Command, one of our favorite games of the year has complete information. Everything you want to see is right there. You look at something like Civilization, and a lot of it is Fog of War. Is You have to find out where the enemy is, and even then you're not quite sure what is happening behind their borders. Um, and Mark of the Ninja is, of course, all about a lot of the stealth and darkness going on. So we want to talk about you know, the idea of Fog of War, and I guess I want to start with uh, Unels and talk about, you know, because we exchanged some emails back and forth and you said you actually had some thoughts about how strategy gaming and the lessons of Fog of War and how that applies to Mark of the Ninja. Uh, first, you want to tell us a bit about Mark of the Ninja, which has been amazingly well-reviewed and well-received over the last month. Yeah, that was a very pleasant surprise. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, if, if folks ha haven't checked it out, uh, Mark of the Ninja is a 2D stealth game, uh, like 2D side-scrolling stealth game. Um, that we that we just put out, and it is it is like unabashedly a, a died in the wool stealth game. Um, like one one of the games that influenced me most uh, when I was when I was younger, both as a designer in general and specifically working on Ninja, was was Thief from from Looking Glass. Um, and so that was that was uh, a big influence for me. Um, so very specific, and it, it's not it's currently out on Xbox Live Arcade, but it's coming out on Steam uh, on uh, October sixteenth, and there'll be a demo as well. So. Folks should, yeah, I know. Um, folks should definitely be able to check it out very soon after that. Um, but uh, but yeah. So yeah, unlike unlike most other, maybe I was actually trying to think about this earlier. If I'd ever seen 
kind of a fog of war thing in a 2D uh, game before, and I can't think of any that do. Um, there might be some. I don't know if you guys can think of any. 2D side, 2D side scrolling type stuff. I yeah, I can't think of any platformers that would have used it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so kind of the reason why we did it is because uh, because stealth games are are a big part of them is about situational awareness, right? Um, but what we found is that kind of the the more players had to work for their situational awareness, the more interesting the game became. Um, because in kind of a less direct way, uh, obviously in a stealth game, right, like the, the enemies have this perception model and they can see and hear you and stuff. So we, we kind of wanted to simulate that from the player's perspective as well, um, not only to make it more consistent, but it just provided uh, like more interesting opportunities for us as well as like an interesting way to provide challenge in the game, right? Um, and it becomes like it, it helped focus the game a lot to be about, you know, observation and uh, being very deliberate and careful in a way that, like, obviously, it wasn't, like, from the outset, right? We were like, oh, yes, of course, we must have Fog of War. It was a thing that just kind of came in as we were evolving the game, as we were building it out. I don't even remember whose idea it was. It might have been mine. It might have been somebody else's. Um, but as soon as you put that in there, the game felt a lot more tangible, uh, which, which was very cool, I think. Um, uh, yeah, so that was at the at the very very high level. That was kind of why we put it into Ninja, and I think in 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 when it's used appropriately in in, in strategy game context, um, it it kind of can do that same thing, like because there's always I mean, it's, it's like obviously strategy games are a little bit more abstract anyway in that you're not like driving around a single dude, um, but still like having perfect information over the board, it's like. It, it it does make the thing feel a little bit more abstract or gamey. I often I often find. Um, I don't I don't know what y'all's take on that stuff is, uh, but that that's one thing that I definitely like about this element or feature or whatever. In addition to introducing inter, in, interesting strategic depth, it just often makes the game feel more grounded. I guess. I want to have this idea of working for information and working for. I mean, thinking that a stealth game has to work to see what's around the corner and mark of the ninja you really have to take advantage of you know when do i use the shadows when do i not what's out there what have uh-huh. i learned so far now scott i mean at Firaxis, you guys have i mean from the very beginning of the studio um fog of war has of course been very essential um in your design experience both at Firaxis and at ba big huge games where you were before that um how what is is there a general understanding of how Fog of War works as a mechanic, or how essential it is, or what its purpose is? I mean, Fog of War is like one of the most I feel uh, well-established sort of um, idea game ideas, like sort of like design constructs that um, we we use. Um, I mean, I, I sort of in the code, there's always like three lit, lit levels for us. I mean, Mark, uh, Mark of the Ninja doesn't really have the third level, which is, but, uh, I see it as sort of like, there are areas that you've never seen or, um, like an unexplored area. Then there's areas that you've seen once, but, uh, can't see now. And then there's areas that you can currently see. And like exploration comes into revealing the, uh, the unexplored areas. But, mm-hmm. um, fog of war is really the key. The key is like what you can see now and what you can't see. Um, and I, I actually think that uh, it works the best in real time games, um, and because it sort of it feels more immediate. Because uh, Fog of War is really mostly about sort of timing, about where people are right now. And with uh, Mark of the Ninja, you see the guy, you see the guards doing their, their pacing around and, and inspecting stuff, and you sort of like, you know, it, it's sort of like you want to pounce right when they're at the right location. And same right. thing with like StarCraft, where you know you see your enemy going south, and it's like, okay, I'm going to come in from the north and grab them while his guys are away. Um, I feel like in uh, in Civ Five, um, the same information is is important, but it's just not as um, immediate. It's not as like you know, it, it's it's that immediacy um, that really makes Fog of War work that that element of time i also feel like like part part of 
the difference there, though, with a game like Civilization, for instance, is uh, I think it matters a great deal whether or not you're going to be taking that information you gain and and immediately acting on it. I think with a, with a, with a game like Mark of the Ninja. You have you have perfect you you have perfect information kind of about what you what you can see, and that immediately sort of informs you how you're going to uh, you know tackle the next challenge. So basically, the way I see like Mark the Ninja working almost is like there's like a recon phase, and then there's you actually beginning your you know beginning your assault on a room or a new location. Um, yeah, totally. And in and in a game like StarCraft. Uh, you know, you don't have you don't have perfect information, but what you do have is a lot of a lot of inference, um, and 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 so you're you're going around the map and, and you're sort of you're you're seeing you're seeing like, um, you know, it's almost like a, a mosaic uh, coming into focus where you see lots of lots of little pieces and you slowly assemble a big picture, and then you've pretty much got to act on that. That's going to that's going to inform exactly what you're going to do for the rest of the game. I, I feel like a game like Civilization, uh, you know, kind of what. You know, I think one of the re- like kind of what makes it such an engaging game is that um, you you have you have a few more options to play it. I think a, a little more solitaire, and so what what you end up with is you you can if you want gain a great gain a great deal of information about what your what your uh, you know rivals are up to, and it, it's certainly a good idea to be informed. But knowing that doesn't necessarily immediately feed back into a gameplay decision that you have to make. Yeah, no, no, it definitely seems to, and I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily, like, always bound to a, to a real-time turn-based thing, but there definitely is a, a level of, a, of immediacy there that um, is obviously much easier to do in a real-time thing, right? Because it's, it's almost definitional, right? I, I think of, like, other, um, you know, with Mark of the Ninja, I think of, um, like, Metal Gear Solid, um, or, you know, that's pretty much the, I guess, most famous stealth game, um, uh-huh. And it has sort of it has fog of war and perception, but that's it's just the camera position. It's just yeah. you know you have things occluding you that you can't see, and that like and what Mark of the Ninja does, and what other what strategy games do is sort of like make that sort of blur, like make that more of a game concept and just a gamey concept, and just sort of like you can't see over there right now. I mean, we have to distinguish between what you can't. It- what you can't see in the idea of what fog of war is. I mean, fog of war isn't just something you can't see. The idea of fog of war is there's information out there that you need, right? It's not just something that's blocking your vision. It's an information that you have to have that is valuable um, and that is blocked by by either senses, uh, by lack of technology, um, by lack of relationships, which is a big thing in a lot of strategy games. If you have Ooh, a good rela- if you have a good relationship with somebody else, they share information with you. That's very um, true. So that's another way of getting your little fog of war thing. So it's I mean so it's kind of it's interesting how people deal with the idea of, you know, how do we uncover information? Because really what fog of war is is it's a way of limiting player information. Um, mm-hmm. And there are so many games that actually, and it's interesting the games that give you perfect. You know, I'm gonna, like again, I want to bring up Unity of Command. Here's this operational level war game, where there is no fog of war. I mean, you see everything. You see all of the enemy units. You see the entire scenario of the map. You know where you have to get to, and it's a decision that was made, and it works really well, probably because of the size of the, because the maps are so small. You know, fog of war isn't something to just bump into, but there. are all kinds of other war games that are nice small screens like Panzer Corps, where there is fog of war. You don't see a unit until you run into it or until it beats your brains out. Uh, so there's this... I guess the question is, when do you... How much information do you want to give the player and when? And I, uh, So let's go back to... Let's compare uh, a game like, like XCOM, for instance. In the new XCOM, there are limitations on when uh, the aliens can shoot at you from the darkness, right? Yes. I can't speak authoritatively on it. Yeah, is that right, Rob? They can't shoot at you from the darkness as much anymore, or something. Right. What what you're going to what you're going to have happen is you're going to uncover a new section of the map, and you're going to encounter enemies, and then you get a quick like little cutscene of of the aliens sort of noticing you, and then uh, ducking into cover, and sort of like now they are now they are engaged in the battle, and so you never stumble across them. And they open fire first thing. There's always sort of a heads up. Unlike think of the original XCOM where. You could get killed, and you would never see what killed you. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> That's kind of, I mean, there where you know lack of information was sudden death. 
Right. Um, and you know, stealth games. And there's so many stealth games like Mark of the Ninja, like Thief. Knowing what's around the next corner is the difference between success and failure. So yeah. I guess the question: How much information is important to the player to have, and in what circumstances? And I guess that does depend on genre. But I guess the question is: It comes down to player experience. What feelings do you want to bring out in the player when they're playing Mark of the Ninja? What do you you see? You want to get them engaged? You want to make them feel involved? You want to make it feel real and alive? Um, can you break that down as to what how information plays into that? Because you know, information's I mean, it's the currency of politics and it's the currency of strategy games. I mean, we're all about systems, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you want to break down how information fits? Yeah. Well, I mean, so this is and this is a thing I, I wanted to mention just broadly as well is that like I think probably as far as character based. And I use this like genre very loosely, but like yeah. action adventure, avatar based type things go. Like I think strategy, um, stealth games have far more in common with strategy games and other games like that than just about anything else, right? Because a good stealth game is 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 really about like it's about providing you with a suite of options, and then you can just approach it however you see fit. So right. the game is is really about cause and effect, right? It's like oh, I want. X to happen and Y to happen, so then I can perturb this system, as in like this guy's hearing senses or whatever, and then I can perturb this other thing that will make something else happen that I can get what I want. And that's really how a lot of strategy games also go, right? It's like, oh, I want, I want ultimately to reach Z, so now I need to line up X and Y right. to do so, right? Um, and so what we were like, unlike most other stealth games, kind of hearkening back to what Scott said earlier, like most, like almost all 3D games, it's just like natural simulation of the environment that just handles the occlusion, right? It's like, well, if you can see around that corner, you can see around that corner. If you can't, you can't. Um, but since we're like a, a side-scrolling 2D thing, obviously what, what you can see isn't bound to your character's eyes because you're looking at your character the whole time. Um, so then, yeah, we kind of made this decision that we wanted the information to be kind of like... Because... Uh, like part part of how the, the the difficulty or challenge or complexity in the game emerged, right? Because since it is a stealth game, um, you know the the, the pre engagement you have with the enemies, like that's where a lot of the difficulty comes from, right? Like tuning what happens when you've actually engaged with them is really easy, but that's not where the game lives most of the time. So it was kind of like we were thinking about what what stuff can we do that makes that pre engagement interesting and you know and challenging and provides a lot of opportunities as well and by obscuring a lot of information except the the stuff that is directly related to you positionally that really you know was, was very valuable in that regard in like providing an interesting way that you can interact with the enemies before they actually see you or you're close enough to stab them or whatever i i have a pretty broad like definition of strategy games and like I, I pretty much define strategy games in which a game that I can just like make a plan in. Um, and I feel like Mark of the Ninja is all about that plan. Like I'm going to jump down when this guy gets here and then I'm going to do this and do that and do that. And oh. that's just like, you know, I feel like that's the core is like being able to sort of like make envision what you're going to do and then act upon it. And then yeah. something happens that, you know, something goes wrong and, you know, you have to adjust your plan. And that's right. really where a lot of the fun comes in is when yeah. something goes wrong. Yeah. So hilariously, um, internally, when we were thinking about like the, the core loop of what, what the hell you actually do is, it was like a three and a half phase thing. It was basically exactly that. That was observe, uh, plan, execute. And then optionally, there's like a little side branch in the loop that's like uh, react. Um, and that, that, so it's, it's kind of cool that that's how the thing felt, because that's absolutely what we intended. Um, and obviously, it's like, okay, well, we have the planning part. The planning part's about, you know, providing you lots of different tools and different opportunities and, like, different challenges and stuff like that. And the execute is just do it, and that's kind of where the dexterity, like, skill component comes in a little bit, but we very much try to keep that minimal. Um, but then it was like, okay, well, in the observe phase, what, what do we do? Um, and if it's just like, well, you could see everything on the screen, and if it's not on the screen, you can't, that like that kind of diminishes the space of what we can actually do in there quite a lot. So by adding in the fog of war and having other kind of hidden information, like, um, you know, what, what, what other, what, like, you have what's on the screen, right? So we kind of have that, that constraint by itself, and then there's the fog of war on top of that. So you're not, but you also have to be concerned with what is, what else is nearby in your environment, right? Because if you, you know, 
kill a guy and it happens to be noisy and you didn't really look around to see what else might be around. Oh, that guy I didn't realize was there. I might've heard it. And now he's going to come rolling in and I have to deal with him. Um, so there's also like a bit of that, like surveillance, uh, scouting portion of things as well. Um, was, was part of what we wanted to make like that observational phase of the, of the, of the gameplay of Ninja about. I think actually that's something we should, really talk talk about in more detail because i think where uh a lot of fog war systems run into trouble i feel isn't that uh how how they hold information back or what kind of information they reveal to you uh you know is incorrect or poorly done or poorly presented or something like that i feel like what what can be more frustrating about fog of war is that there simply aren't a lot of engaging ways to go about collecting information and you know, going to going back to a stealth game example, uh, you know, just real quick here, uh, I feel like earlier Hitman games, for example, had this real problem where you'd sort of be dropped into a level, and your first few playthroughs were basically just like go out there and then fail, go out there, fail a different way, and that's kind of how you gather information because what it didn't really let you do. Uh, in a lot of cases, was have a really a really good way to go around collecting information about how you'd approach your objective, and, and uh-huh. so you ended up in this sort of frustrating uh, cycle where your first few you know runs through a hitman level would be like you know go out there try to be stealthy you know screw it up within you know five minutes kill fifty people and then go retry the mission again knowing what you know now, and that's yeah. not really satisfying. And I feel like something similar happens in a lot of war games and strategy games. Yeah, uh, where huh. You know, yeah. well, like taking the taking the uh, Panzer Corps example again, real quick. Exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, it's got a really, really coarse. Uh, it's got a really coarse approach to line of sight and reconnaissance, where there's reconnaissance units who have a slightly larger radius of sight. Uh, there's some terrain that gives you a slightly larger radius, but ultimately, what it comes down to is your units are still basically blind; they cannot see in front of them, and because of the way the movement rules go, they cannot make decisions based on what it, you know. Given the time constraints you're under, you can't make decisions based on what you can see. So you end up having to send a recon unit out, watch it get blown up, and now now you know that something's out there. Now you know what's out there, and now you can make a decision. But that's 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 a terrible way of handling it because it's <laughs> it, it's not fun. It, it, it's a it's a it's a it makes information gathering uh, punishing and it, just an obstacle between you and playing the game you want to be playing. Well, because. Information guy that comes with this memory test. Do you remember what units are out there for the next time you play it? There's this whole puzzle thing we've talked about. When the war game becomes a puzzle, not a scenario, where you you have to understand know what units are out there, where they start, um, and where not to send your units. And it becomes, I mean, the platformers have this too. And this weekend I'm going to get schooled in old school platform game design, but not with any stealth or fog of war mechanics just you know but it's about memorizing what's there and what's not but that's not what a strategy game is the strategy game is about you know learning and gathering and picking stuff up and a lot of, what a lot of people have said about mark of the ninja and what they like is how there are different ways of dealing with problems and it does have this platform element but there's depth within the platforming and oh, yeah. a really good war game has not just i mean i think of combat mission a classic combat mission where you can't see the enemy, and there are very strict line of sight rules, but you can sometimes hear things, and you'll get sound cues. You get little question marks. You hear armor over here. You hear gears. You don't might not know what kind of tank that is. It might just be a recon vehicle, but you know there's something out there. So even just some partial information, there's something. And even uh, top-down NATO counter-war games, like um, uh, Operational Art of War would have you would sometimes pick up an infantry unit. You wouldn't know how strong it was, but if you picked it up, it was a pretty decent size. So you would get, you know, the infantry X and just question marks about the strength, but you knew it was out there. So there'd be this way of at least parceling out information bit by bit, and a good war game should do that. And But, you know, a bad stealth game like Hitman and bad platformers like Super Mario World, trust me, it's going to be a bad platform. I've never played it, but it's going to be terrible. And uh, a bad war game like Panzer Corps. You're you're killing me, man. You can't you can't say that. I like. I I, I, haven't, I haven't played it yet, but I know. Trust me. It's, it's you may you may not enjoy it, but that doesn't make it bad. 
that's true. Uh, but and, and Panzer Corps, I mean, it, it, it's a good game for what it is, but I mean, compared to a really good deep war game, I'd rather have perfect information like Unity of Command, which says, look, here's the problem, try and beat it, go for it, mm. uh, without trying to trick you and to say, haha, you didn't know there was an artillery unit there. Yeah, no, with, with Ninja, we very, very, very explicitly um, uh, wanted to absolutely avoid situations that felt like it was a puzzle and you just have to like slam your head against this until you, until you figure out what the right thing to do is and then execute it. Like that was absolutely, absolutely something we did not want to do. Um, and I think, I mean, I, like obviously strategy games can have this as well, but it's almost fundamental that that, that, that can be very dangerous in stealth games because the other, the other side of, of the, of the, like fundamental stealth game experience coin is like you have to be stealthy for a reason right in general you're like you're a total glass cannon you're very very vulnerable and then the dynamics of that are kind of saying hey you shouldn't take a lot of risks you should be careful right but if the only way to figure out how to be successful is to experiment with all this stuff and take a bunch of risks well that's that's pretty schizophrenic right um, and like things can fall apart very, very quickly if you get into that situation. Um, and so that was something we very explicitly wanted to avoid, uh, just by, yeah, providing lots of options. Um, I mean, like, so in, in a really good strategy game context, is it about like offering you a diversity of ways to gather information? Is it more about like offering you different opportunities to like choose how to get your information? Like I'm thinking... In StarCraft, right? Like, at least each race has, like, easily two or three different, like, good, reliable means of scouting. Um, is, it, is, the, is, like, is that the right way to go about it? I don't exactly... I don't think there's really no. a single right way, right? Yeah, sure, sure. sure. Well, I mean, what are, like, some interesting ways that it's been done? It's not just, like, yeah. blunder out into the fog and then, oh, look, a mortar. Uh, don't do that next time. This may not be a direct answer, but uh, uh, Total Annihilation had some cool stuff uh, with like fog of war where you could set up radar beacons that could detect enemy units and that would oh. see beyond the fog of war. So you could sort of like pure it. You could, you wouldn't be able to see them on your like display, but you'd see them on your mini map and oh. you could actually hide those units by having like anti-radar units or I fear like everywhere they were called. Yeah, you had jammers. They created yeah, jammers. like dark spots in the sensor picture. Exactly. And, um, that was a really, cool way to like play with that mechanic because I, I don't think that there have been many games that used a radar like that. I mean, I, I think that total annihilation was at least the first one to do it. Well, and, and Starcraft uses it now uh, where, where the Terrans can build the, the Terrans can build a sensor tower, which has again, sort of that really long, that long like line of sight, but it gives you no information about what's out there beyond the fact that something is out there, which yeah, creates that sort of cool, like, a uh, tiered information uh, structure where you know now now you know the location of something but you have no idea what it is. Right. Um, one of the things that just from a like allowing people to play the game, um, this is works really well in Civ and more sort of more peaceful RTSs. Is Fog of War actually helps focus the player because they can only see so much. Mm. Um, if you can only see so much, the players like you know it players will pay attention to what's moving. And if they can only see a few things move, that's like, that's what I need to pay attention to. But if you reveal the whole map, it's sort of just, you get into situations where it can be paralysis and uh, analysis paralysis, where you just get stuck with all this information. Um, and, you know, you just, you, there's too much to process. And by having just fog of war, it just f- sort of like focuses the player. And it's like, I'm sort of safe in this area. Like I can see this area and there's like stuff I don't know about that. It may be dangerous, but I don't know about it yet. Um, I don't know. It's, I, I find it kind of interesting because it's sort of like a little bubble that you're in. And in, mm-hmm. in Civ five, you know, barbarians will wander in and start breaking things. Um, and you know, you want it like, it sort of unfolds from there and then you find other civilizations and they take your stuff. <laughs> um, and then you want to, you know, get back at them for it. Um, so, but I just, I like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about fog of war that is just so like just brilliant. Um, and you know, there's a lot of great ways to use it. Yeah. There's a lot of richness there. I mean, when, so when you mentioned radar, again, this isn't like explicitly a strategy game, but, um, back in, uh, like the, the old, uh, mech game, Chrome hounds, um, 
in like when you played it multiplayer, like different people had different roles, right? And one of the characters was like was basically like the the radar communications mech, um, and they had like they were like the radius. So as long as you were within the radius of, of that unit, you could you could talk to each other, and it was pretty big. But you'd have situations where like someone who's like a scout unit would have to like go beyond the the radius of communication. And then they're just gone, right? They're just, they're just like out there doing their thing. They can't talk to you at all. And you have no idea what, like, did they get ambushed? Are they dead? And it, like, that was like a, a really genuine, very interesting, but equally like harrowing moment where, in, like, when, when you lose that ability to communicate, which is kind of a sense of kind of an information, um, that like when that was taken away, it was, it was also really, really potent. Um, and one of, one of the more memorable things about that game, for me at least. I, I really like I feel like that game captured sort of the the real military fog of war where like the the guy in the tent giving reports from the troops um, oh. and you know it's it's just like trying to you know make a plan with very incomplete information and also information that's being relayed by people and yeah. it's dependent on their like ability to communicate and so you don't even know um, you know, you don't have that first person knowledge of exactly what's there. You have somebody telling you what they saw. Um, and you know, that is just a, that that's crazy. Awesome. Like, I, I just think that's brilliant. I've never played the, this is the 360 game. It's a yeah. Xbox game. I think. It was a, yeah, it was, a, was it, it was either like maybe around the end of the original Xbox or right at the beginning of the 360. Yeah, so we have the Wikipedia awesome. page open here. It says the 2006 360. There you but go. I, yeah, I, so, I never so heard of really early ones. I think I've heard the title and that's it. I had no idea that it was even. I had no idea that it was even like a. Uh, I had no idea that this Fog of War stuff in it. It was a brilliant game. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was from uh, from software, the same people that did Dark Souls and Demon Souls. Oh, no way. Yeah, like it's weird, right? You think it's like, oh, they're the they're the Souls games people, but uh, before that, they made a ton of mech games, and even though apparently the the new Connect uh, one was was um, ungood, uh, like ungood, so, so, ungood. Like that. Oh wait, did they make the uh, um, yeah. Steel Battalion yeah. update? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, but um, they also made they had a mech line of their own. Yes. Uh, um, it wasn't like the Japanese jumpy mechs. Armored Core. It was the Armored Core games. Yeah. Right. They're yeah. more the Western style marchy mechs. Yeah. Mechs, not yeah. mecha. Okay, got it. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no. So like, like definitely. Yeah, Chromehounds did some very cool stuff with that because it, it was. Yeah, you, I mean, it was all like because you all were like driving around your mech, right? So you were limited to what you literally could see, but like broadly, like the the information capacity of your of your group of people working together was also constrained in other ways. That was that was really quite cool. Um, man, I don't I don't know. Like aside from that, literally, where it's like we all have our FOVs and we can talk to each other about what we saw. I don't know if there's been any other like interesting ways of, of like sharing information in, in a multiplayer context that isn't like, Oh, we're allies and we just see exactly what the other person sees. Or it's, we each have our own eyeballs and we can talk to each other about what we saw. And that's it. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't think of anything that kind of was like a little more middle ground ish. Well, it seems like that would be interesting. I almost feel like what you need there is like a cooperative element and that's just not something you see a lot in a strategy game where things are usually it's assumed that you know it's some on some level someone's probably playing it 1v1 or or playing it solo and they don't want to deal with like you know ai characters um right. you know going back to one of my favorite war games like i'm always a little disappointed in like take command and scourge of war when i can see what other uh, commanders see on the, on the, you know, it's a civil war game. So you'll be standing there, you know, fighting your own corner of the battle, but you're still aware that, you know, a mile away down the line, a fellow brigade commander is completely folding up uh, under like attack from a huge division. And you know that, and then you're making judgments based on it. But realistically, I think it would be, you know, in some ways more cool if, you know, you need if you were getting like infrequent updates, about what that situation is. And eventually those updates might stop oh. entirely and you just have no yeah, idea. Yeah. But I, I think that requires 
um, I, I think that in itself becomes like the huge that that becomes the focus of, of the entire design, and I think people hesitate to do that because, again, if it's just one person playing by themselves, the odds of that being, you know, will that be rewarding or will it piss people off? The odds, you right. know, it's very fifty fifty on uh, how you yeah. do that. Where where I think if you could do some sort of like tactical Left for Dead type game, then you could have some really interesting things develop where. Uh, right. That sort of shared information does become uh, really interesting. I think that yeah, yeah. one um, one game that actually d- d- comes closest to the Chrome Hound stuff it's actually, it's a puzzle game, not a strategy game. Is uh, the Portal Two co op because you have two people trying to solve a puzzle and you can't really you can I guess you can see into the other person's like viewpoint. But I played it without audio communication with a friend and like it huh. had. It had that sort of like one of us would solve it, and it would trying to like communicate that through the game systems was really, uh, mm-hmm. really fun. Why why would you play that without audio communication? I it was actually a tremendous amount of fun, and I died laughing. Yeah, but why would you even start with that idea? I, mean, I would even. I mean, I'm sure it ended up it ended up okay, but I mean, I wouldn't think of hey that being originally the the fun way to do things. I think that. A lot of cool stuff can come out from of just strange restri- constraints, and you know, yes. just not having audio communication. And like, they had a, a really robust like gesture system and pointing. Like, they had like sort of cursors that you could put on the map, um, and they they designed it so it would work, so that you could use without using audio communication. Did, did, no, sorry, I was to say, did any of you guys play Way? Um, it was it was what one of the uh, one of the guys who ended up working on Journey did when he was still in school. It, it won the Indicate Audience Award last year or the year before. Any you guys play? No, it? I never played I it. My, I think my office mate went to school with that guy. Oh well, there you go. I actually haven't played it though, so yeah, so you should get idea. my office mate on the podcast. Yes, yeah, it's actually it's really 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 interesting. It's it's like a it's a cooperative, um, like two D platformer, um, but you, you play it remotely with someone else and you cannot speak to each other. You're matched anonymously with someone else playing the game at the same time. And um, you can see, like, basically, it's almost like there is Fog of War where, like, you, it's split the screen in half. It's like your screen is on top, their screen is on the bottom. Um, but you end up very quickly, like, one, one of you will walk into, like, a special doorway. And that means that on your screen, you can see stuff that the other person can't see. Like platforms or enemies or whatever and so like it does have a really complicated gesture based system so like completely non-vocally just with like making your little avatar point around you basically have to collaborate so that your partner can walk you through stuff that you yourself cannot see um and the experience of playing it like especially like with a stranger obviously because you have no idea who you're playing with is really profound and actually very very cool i should try it out yeah, yeah, yeah. See, see if you can do it, because it's, it's kind of an interesting way to do, sort of like, I guess that is a 2D platformer that kind of has Fog of War, sort of, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting, and I think, I think it's still free, maybe. Um, but yeah, so the, that notion of, like, having to, having to collaborate because there's some information that one of you possesses, but the other one does not, but you can't, like, literally just type out words or speak of a voice chat or whatever, um, Obviously, if you have to make, like, complicated tactical decisions or whatever, that would just be the most frustrating thing in the world. Um, but, w- but when you take away the complexity of what you're trying to do, like, that potentially can actually be really cool, at least in some circumstances. So, Troy, one game I wanted to talk a little bit about was uh, Wargame European Escalation, because I feel like yeah. that breaks a lot of the rules we've talked about so far in the show, where it really... It really screws with you. It really doesn't let you know what you know and how well you know it. Um, you know, one of, one of the things that game does is uh, you can have, you know, there's these there's these gradients uh, of information, uh, you know, based on observed areas of the map. And so, like, high-profile units, like a group of heavy tanks, uh, if those are driving through a field that's observed by just about anyone, they're going to be spotted right away. Uh, but if you've got like a recon unit or, you know, like a, you know, a recon, um, you know, armored vehicle or maybe a squad of commandos or something crossing the same field, um, they might go completely undetected. But from your perspective, it still looks like that field is observed. 
And uh, and so I find that game, you're never really confident oh. of what you know. But instead of finding that really frustrating, I find it creates this really, um, you know, delicious and I think really convincing sense of, like, paranoia as you push out into the map where there never is that sense that you're truly safe anywhere because there's always the chance that somehow you've overlooked something or that you've been infiltrated. What it, what it really does is it, it's a war game, it's a real-time war game that makes scouting units more than expendable ensigns. More than guys you send out there just to get their early warning report and then get killed. These are very important units you've got to keep around and you have to protect because they are your eyes and they will see things that other units will not. Um, so you can't just let them get out there and you have to actually invest in them. So many games, I mean, I look at something like, I mean, look at, let's look at Civ Five, where you build scouts and after a while, scouts are so useless, you don't have to build them anymore. They're completely pointless because you've explored all the map, forget it. And so many other war games, you know, why would you even bother building a recon unit? So they're a little bit faster, but once you're in combat and the fronts are formed up, there's no point in building a recon unit. They're a complete and total waste of money and resources. But in uh, European escalation, because the information, because there's a field or there's a very thin wooded hedge or something, because you're never quite certain that what you're seeing or what you're hearing is absolutely perfect, um, you will have to invest in things like a, even a cheap recon unit. It's sometimes a much better investment than a heavy anti-tank unit. Because unless you know what's out there, you don't know what you're, what you're prepared to kill. Um, I mean, helicopters are always a great investment. I mean, they're just a great, they're great until they get shot down. I mean, they can see pretty much anything from the sky. They're expensive, but they're great and useful. And I think that's one of the great things about the way that War Game European Escalation uses fog of war, that it really is a true, honest fog of war. You're fighting a war, and even the things you see are, are, are blurry, or the things you think you can see are blurry, because you're working on a map, and you can see the whole map stretched in front of you. And traditionally, you know, oh, I can see these tanks. So clearly, if I can see these tanks, I can see everything in front of the tanks. Well, no, that's European Escalation says your eyes are lying to you. You can see the tanks, but you can't see the snipers or the small jeep or the anti-tank vehicle sneaking up in front of them. All you can see in here are the great big units. And I think that's a brilliant way of doing it. I think that, I mean... Uh, Combat mission did, does that a little bit, but European Escalation, there's just so many good things that Eugen Systems did in that game. And I wish I had more time to go back and play it, because it really does capture the confusion of war. And as we talked about in the podcast, uh, which we'll probably link to again, because it was a really, really great podcast, uh, we talked about how it takes place at this moment in military technology where electronics become really important. You have this, just when the post-war armored vehicles and post-war weapons are becoming a bit computerized. So you have this really nice mix of what types of units can detect what types of other units based on radio signals, uh, based on the powers they can send out, etc. And I, it's just so brilliantly captured all the way through. I was going to say that that I, I like I I've obviously I've never played that game, but that notion of that like that the 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 ability of information depends on both the observer and the observed, and it's not just like strict parity. That's that's a cool idea. I feel like it has to be the right game to for that to work because oh, yeah. um, it's sort of hard to know reflexively like if you were seen or not in a in a fog of war game. Uh, like I, I feel like that's something that we have to keep in mind with Civ Five because it's sort of like I can see a guy, but can they can they see me? Yeah. Um, and that's hard to uh, evaluate. Like in a first-person shooter, it's very clear because if I can see them, they're usually they usually can see me, and you know they're firing back, so I'm pretty sure they see me there. Um, but I think that actually you need to have a more so, sort of a game that focuses on that. I think that. Uh, actually, the Advance War games um, do a really good version. Like they do Fog of War exceptionally well because they their tanks have like it's a grid based game, and their tanks I think have like four sight north, south, east, and west around them. Whereas their like jeeps and infantry have really long ranges of sight, and you sort of you know what sights your your people have, and you know the limitations of your unit, so you sort of can deduce. Um, 
what other people can see. Um, and, and it's a much simpler game. And I feel like you can sort of like solve that problem in your head. Whereas in Civ, there's like so much stuff going on. Deducing whether you can be seen is just, it's sort of like is intractable in a lot of situations. Well, and, and I think Civ sort of has that problem, which we touched on the espionage show where you, you like the information, the like see, seeing something or being seen in civilization. The, the question becomes how much of a difference does that make to the overall strategic picture? How much does that affect uh, decisions that have to be made right now? A lot of cases, it, it, it doesn't really. Like, it becomes information that you, you sort of, like, add to the scale of a decision. But, you know, the scale, you know, measures in kilograms, and you're basically adding little peas on it. You know, like, oh, I saw a horse unit on my border. Okay, well, that maybe, impl- you know, implies something. But you're, you're still, you know, kind of focused on, you know, strong economy research. Uh, you know, catching up, catching up to the, you know, in in the broad categories of success in this game, uh, you know, that's not something that's going to be as affected. Uh, those calculations aren't going to be affected as much by like what a scout can observe or uh, what a spy sees uh, being built in a single enemy city, and and uh, and so I think you know, fog of war information end up in a weird position in, in a game like that, and even in I think uh, you know sort of like more sophisticated war games like uh, you know say a combat mission, uh, where uh, you know it's, it's very interesting how they handle how they handle information in, in those games, and and scouting is certainly important in those games but uh you know these are games that also hinge in you know incredibly on how well you've mastered you know world war ii tactical doctrine uh how well do you understand uh the dynamics of an engagement between a group of shermans and you know a couple german panther tanks you have to know this stuff and that you know that's going to uh, have a huge impact on, on the outcomes of the battle where i feel like a game like uh, war game European escalation because you know in some ways it's not uh, what some people would consider a real war game. It's able to abstract so much of this stuff away that the few things it chooses to focus on, um, you know, are, are are incredibly important. Where that game uh, becomes, I think, really, you know, when you're playing it sort of competitively, that game really becomes about scouting and information denial. It's really who can you know who can extend their little tendrils across the map. And assemble the best picture, uh, and and make decisions based on that. That's what that game hinges on. And I feel like a lot of war games, that's maybe just you know part of the story. In strategy games, it's maybe a quarter of the story or you know less. That's probably why Unity of Command can get away with perfect information because it's not a game about information. It's a game about supply lines. It's about a game. Can you get there fast enough? Can you get there in one piece? And it's a game that has chosen to focus not on secrecy, not on keeping information away or keeping all your plans, you know, discreet. It's about something else. And it's to, to uh, two by two's credit that they said, you know what, we're just not going to do that. And they focused on one thing entirely different and pushed it aside. They said, look, we don't have an answer to this, don't have an interesting answer to this. So he pushed it aside, give you complete, perfect information. And I think that's, you know, you can't do that in a lot of games. The more serious, the more so-called serious your war game is, the more there's pressure to include a whole bunch of other stuff. And I think Wargame European Escalation, I think it really is a serious war game. I think anybody who tries to say it isn't is just, you know, blind to what a war game is actually all about. And they're, I mean, I'm turning into Bruce Garrick here. You know, they're so focused on, you know, historical accuracy and... Rivet counting. Rivet counting that they don't <laughs> think about but what war actually is. And I think Wargame European Escalation does a great job of, you know, it's, it's about small forces and you don't have you know, enough Canadians in it, but aside from that, you don't have, uh, it's about, you know, it's it, it, it's about, you know, solving, the, getting there, keeping your units in one piece. It's about getting all the information you can as quickly as you can so you know what units to buy, you know what units to build. Uh, it, it's a really good RTS. I think the, the best RTSs are like that too. I mean, People say we don't like StarCraft on this show, which is complete and total lie. Because one of the great things about StarCraft is about it. So much of it is the, the, the whole counters, especially between the different factions, and that getting that edge. If you know what your enemy's building, if you know what they've already amassed, if you can get that an undetected unit spying just quick enough to know what they're working on, you can be ready for that attack and turn it on them. 
Uh, and I think I really, I mean, Scott's right. You know, real-time strategy games have this. Fog of War becomes something you, a problem you have to solve immediately. And I think turn-based games and longer grand strategy games treat Fog of War a bit differently. It does become a long-term problem, a long-term issue of what are they up to? What are they doing? Do I deal with this now? Uh, whereas in, you know, war in battles where what you know is immediately important fog of war is something is a, is a problem to be solved it's not just an annoyance to be maybe dealt with there, there's one last thing I, I i want to deal with in this topic and that's kind of like how fog of war and holding information back from the player sort of affects uh, players' impressions of of the overall like competence of, of your design of of your ah. AI, uh, because it, it strikes uh. me that a lo- one thing I see come up over and over again is that players become utterly convinced that the AI is doing things that make absolutely no sense, but in many many cases that. That's that's really based on the on these little snapshots you can see of the AI taking actions devoid of any context, and uh, I I kind of wonder if you know fog of war doesn't lead to this sort of player paranoia that because they can't see the AI's reasoning the AI lacks reason. Hmm. I, I think that's that's totally. Um, sometimes the AI does lack reason. Um, a lot of times the AI has a reason and it. You know, something came. It did not have complete inf- like access to all the information, and it does a really dumb thing um, that the human would like. The human could make it the same mistake and like miss gay like not account for what is actually there. They think one thing's there, and it's actually not there. Um, and like in many ways, like in some ways, fog of war covers many sins, um, but it also just creates this um, perception. Like it does the like it does affect how the player sees the AI, and I think that um, you know, without it would be very interesting to um, turn off. Like we, I mean, we should we should do this is turn off fog of war and Civ five, and then you know, see what happens, <laughs> but, um, and sort of like judge the AI on that. Um, I, I honestly think that fog of war is something like if you design a strategy game and you don't use fog of war, that's kind of, that's a very sort of risky move because it works so well. And it sort of like immediately adds depth, not depth, but maybe it adds depth, um, to a game. Um, and it sort of, it hides, it gives you a lot of, um, room, uh, the designer room to like play behind the scenes in some ways. Um, so, so, oh, I was gonna say, so Rob, is, is what you're thinking that like, you know, the, the brief just snapshots of interaction when you see what the other side is doing in that, like, if it's an AI and the stuff doesn't seem to make sense, you're like the, like broadly people think, oh, the AI is kind of daft, um. But if you thought it was a person, but if it was a person, you'd think, "Oh God, what are they up to? That, oh, what do they do? Is the, like I'm suspicious. They must be doing something crazy because I don't understand what it is." Is that is that kind of what you were thinking, or just broadly, right? It's like worst with AI. An, an example. An example. I think a good example would be uh, the AI can't second guess itself, and the and the player puts up with that. Like something that if the AI moves moves a unit out or something, initiates an attack, moves to location. And then pulls back and abandons whatever it was thinking of doing. That could be because it, you know, it, it saw something new and realized like this is a bad position, or someone attacked from the other side. Something was happening it needed to deal with. Um, but what a what a, if players see that happen repeatedly and they can't see any any other factor, I, I do think players have a tendency to assume the AI is making like almost random movements. Yeah, right. The whole, probably have, they just ping, they're just ping ponging armies, moving them at random. Where the AI might be trapped in this fog of war loop, where they the AI, the AI sees things and that it, where should it move its army? It doesn't quite know where to move its army because it doesn't know where the biggest threat is, and the player is just seeing insanity. Where the AI is seeing, holy crap! I'm Germany stuck in 1914. What am I going to do? Um, well, I mean, and, just 
Go well, ahead. I was just going to talk about like XCOM for one second. I was playing a game with uh, you know Dan Stapleton the other night and ended his undefeated XCOM multiplayer uh, record. Yay! So that was, that's, a, so, that's a three, uh, that's a three moves ahead rec- three moves ahead accomplishment. Yeah, me to Dan, Daddy's home. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that win for us. Um, but. The thing is, so I was being I was being super cautious because you know Dan was Dan was on a roll, um, and, and so I mean if if someone had seen me playing and you know thought I was an AI, what they would have seen is um, all the second guessing. You know, sniper moves here, and then like um, like two turns later, like no no no, and like moves completely back the way she came, uh, and, and it would look you know I look I look like complete incompetent poltroon. Uh, playing Dan there. But, you know, what I was doing is I was just fiddling with, you know, my deployment until I was in position to sort of, you know, engage the way I'd want to. But I I feel like what people want to see from an AI, they want to perceive clear intent. Um, And decisiveness, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, But but they also don't want the AI to have perfect information. They want the AI to play by the same rules as everybody else. And it's, if the AI is playing under fog of war rules as well, then there's going to be some confusion. I think players will completely misunderstand this. I mean, it's. I, th- I think players are really bad judges of AI in most cases. I mean, over many. I mean, of course, it's, it's a large laboratory, and you know, often the same problem repeated over and over again. Unless something like Empire Total War, or Hearts of Iron two or three, or just name a big strategy game with a huge AI problem. Yeah, there are serious, serious issues you can detect. But often the problems that people see are because they don't see what the AI sees. And I think you're right to diagnose that, Rob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously it's a much, much lighter strategy game and the hidden information is in a different context. But I remember I was yeah. playing just a bunch of randos on Hero Academy. Um, and That's a great like, game. Yeah, I, I I go back and forth about how much I like it. Like the randomness kind of bothers me sometimes. Um, but anyway, anyway, so the point was like I was playing just some random person on the internet, and they were making moves that were just idiotic, right? And I'm like, no one would do this. Like, what, what, what are they planning? Like, what's what's gonna happen next? And then I just ended up destroying them and realized, oh no, they were just an idiot. Um, but like for a good, good like 10, 15 turns, I was like, what is this leading to? How are they setting this up? But if if that had if those exact same moves had been done by a robot, I'd be like, oh, this computer, this AI is terrible. What's this is dumb. Um, so it's yeah, it's definitely interesting that almost always you're going to give a person the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah, and the and the AI just doesn't doesn't get that because I think there's a sort of a knee jerk assumption that uh, the AI you know is probably not very good. Which you know, to be fair. Um, it often isn't. It often but... isn't. I think developers <laughs> shoot themselves in the foot by AI is one of those, you know, it's 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 always promised they're like a pony, uh, you know, to, you know, to to a little kid, you know, like oh this, you know, this year, this year the AI is going to be really good. It's going to learn and adapt to what you do, which is pretty much always horseshit. Uh, but you know when when you know I think every gamer sort of had this like diminishing level of credulity about what AI is capable of. So at this point, you know it doesn't it doesn't get it doesn't get that benefit of the doubt. Yeah, yeah. No, that that is a that is a very salient observation. That's yeah, I like that. Um, I, I do feel, you know, just to you know talk about you know XCOM one last time. I do, I do feel like um. You know that that that's a game that I think quite wisely, uh, you know, really cuts Fog of War down, uh, you know, kind of kind of to a minimum. Where where I feel like once the battle is joined, uh, the the dilemmas are are very clear and they're they're laid out there on the screen for you for you to judge, um, and you don't have to so much worry about, and you don't have to, you don't have to worry about what what you can't see as much or what or what the ai knows or doesn't know it, it really you know everything everything in xcom sort of builds up to you know there is once again you know pre-positioning before the fight starts and then there's the engagement and those are distinct phases uh and the rules are simple enough that it becomes very easy to assess um you know how, how you want to how you how you want to play an encounter as opposed to you know sort of staring at the you know dark edge of the map and you know, talking yourself out of, you know, talking yourself out of taking action because you simply don't know. So that will do it for our for our fog of war show. Uh, next Can week, I it's... give people a reminder to please uh, review and rate us on iTunes. 
Um, it's a good way for us to know where things, how we're doing, how poorly we're doing, how well we're doing. Um, especially Are we if you're still in at Canada. We're still at five. I don't know in the U.S. I can only get, I'm in Canada, so I only get like the Canadian iTunes, where we have like nine reviews, and yeah, we're all five stars. But you know, that's a good place. But yeah, they're Canadian, nice. so we have really, really low standards because they let me in, back in. Uh, so, and a reminder that um, uh, to register, we have discussions on the Idle Thumbs forum. Um, so if you listen to the podcast and are wondering why there's not a lot of great comments on the blog now, we've moved over to our great new webpage on Idle Thumbs. Um, and register for the discussions there. We have some really good discussions there and some really good people signing up. Yeah, and, and the new page is hot, let me tell you. Uh, oh, yeah, the... The Thumbs guys did a really good job on that site. It is nice. And it's not finished. We have work to do. No, absolutely. Um, And then hopefully next week you will be able to rejoin us for uh, what I hope will be a long overdue discussion of playing the Scourge of War games uh, multiplayer, if we can fit that in next week, uh, which I really hope we can do. Because uh, I have a bunch of codes to, I just got a bunch of codes to go out to my fellow panelists, and so I think it's time for uh, oh god, me how, to t- how many people are we doing this with? I think it should be the panel. I I, I think the, I should just, I, just I should four of us. I should just be your McClellan, right? and and you guys will be my uh, well, those other guys. Well, you can be my Burnside, Troy. <laughs> I haven't I even got the facial hair for Burnside. No way I can pull that off. Well, I, look, I've got the facial hair for it, but I'll be damned if I'm going to be. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we'll hash all this out next week. Uh, in the meantime, thanks for thanks for listening, and thanks, as always, to our producer, Michael Hermes, for uh, putting this together. Uh, Nell, Scott, fantastic having you on the show, and uh, hope we can get you guys back soon. This has been great. Yeah, no, this was, this was awesome. Um, I'm always flabbergasted and floored. Uh, yeah, so I would love to do such a thing. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you, thank you as much. I really came from Nell's <laughs> Mark of the Ninja. So they like Troy was like, "We're going to talk about Mark of the Ninja." I'm like, "I'm there." So, <laughs> well, thanks. All right, well, say good night, everybody. Hi, all. Thank you very much, guys. Night. Good night. <laughs>